Uh, we're continuing our series, Help Me Understand Holiness. As you can see on the screen, we've been in that for the last several weeks. We're, we're in a culture that doesn't understand holiness, frankly, a culture that doesn't think it's important, and, uh, and yet it is. It's very important, as we've been talking about throughout the course of the series. And we've been learning from Jesus in particular as he walks his way through the Sermon on the Mount. We're not hitting everything that he, that he, the address is there, but we're hitting a lot of those things. And today we're going to be talking particularly about holy people and how holy people choose purity. I mean, if, if we're going to understand holiness from God's perspective, we're going, to, we're going to choose purity is what we're going to be doing. So if you have your Bible, open it to Matthew chapter 5. Hold, kind of keep your finger there because uh, we're going to uh, come back to that spot here in a little bit. But uh, just hold it for now. Before we get there, though, or go there, I want to introduce you this morning to one of our ministry partners. His name is Phil, Philip Cosby. Come on up here, Philip. Philip's going to join me uh, here. Uh, <clears throat> for those of you who may not know who Philip is, uh, Philip's a retired Army veteran. He was a Master Sergeant in the Infantry. And uh, if you hang around him, he's just he's got this, uh, this strong persona of confidence and uh, just strength that, I, that I, I love about you, Phil. I've known you for 15 years now. Uh, th- some of you remember David Taylor, who has passed away several years ago and went on, but David kind of connected us all way back in the beginning. Phil's been, uh, ever since he retired, a tireless champion and advocate for biblical, uh, godly, family uh, kinds of values here in the states of Kansas and Missouri. And we appreciate who you are, what you do. Phil- Phil's you. wife is named Kathy, and she uh, wasn't able to be with us today. Wish she could have been, but uh, she's a sweet gal. Philip's a man of God. I've, I've been moved by that. Watching, if you listen to him pray, spend any time with him at all, you just you're uh, you're touched by the presence of God in his life. We've been supporters as a congregation from him or of him, you know, since uh, since he's begun begun his ministry in this area 15 years ago. And uh, so it's a privilege to have you here with us Thank today, you. Philip. Just proud Thank of you, you and your faithfulness. And, uh, he particularly deals in this area of purity. And so as I was going to talk about uh, choosing purity, uh, you know, Phil, I just was, I, the last few weeks have been running up to this particular message. The news has just been saturated with uh, the consequences of sexual impurity, really, is what we've been seeing. Of course, we've, we see that all the time, but it's been really high profile in the news the last couple of weeks. And should we be surprised, Phil, by the sexual misconduct of people like Harvey Weinstein, so many others in Hollywood, or just in the culture in which we live? Well, first of all, let me thank you for being at church. It's not afraid to talk about the obvious, what's happening. You know, this, this issue of sexual immorality, uh, this is no uh, obscure doctrine. Uh, Forty times in the New Testament, that one word, porneia in the Greek, translated sexual, sexual immorality. So it's something that's very central as to who God is as far as his holiness and who he's called to be. Harvey Weinstein is just another car wreck that uh, we're all wondering at. Now 40 women that have um, come forward and say that they've been victimized. Um, it's just another string of the almost daily, whether it's in schools or the Boy Scouts or or it's Bill O'Reilly, or it's Bill Cosby. You know, of course, us sharing. I was thinking about that. <laughs> Phil, Phil Cosby, Bill Cosby. It was, was an honorable name up until that. <laughs> yeah. hey, I mean, we all felt betrayed. You know, this was America's dad. You know, so it, it just comes as, and we're all surprised. And none of you in here, I mean, can probably, uh, or excuse me, each one of you in here knows a story. And it's close to you, someone you knew, 
some pastor, someone that disappointed you that you say, I never thought that they would succumb to that. I never saw that coming. And we don't. We just, there's good guys, bad guys all over the field. It's not that clear. Yeah. Is what happened. Now, what's interesting about Weinstein is, is that what's the one scripture that Hollywood or anybody that you try and reprove that they usually come back with? Judge not lest you be judged, right? And you need to understand the context of what that is saying. But for some reason, they always throw that back at you. And it's kind of effective. Like, oh, I don't want to be uh, a prude. I don't want to be someone that judges all the time. But you notice Hollywood is judging Weinstein? They are just merciless calling him all these names. And things, and they are self-righteously judging now what one of their own did. Mm-hmm. It's a height of hypocrisy, but it's the human condition. Yeah. Having no mercy, understanding that you were once like that. Mm-hmm. And you have been redeemed and renewed and born again. And you're a new creature in Christ. We understand the mercy in the beginning of our condition and what redemption looks like. And so it's strange to see that phenomenon as they judge now. But yet, if you judge, somehow you're outside of the boundaries of some sort of decency. So Harvey Weinstein, just another car wreck. Yeah, And, you know, I was thinking about leading up to this week, just it was back in September, just a few weeks ago. Uh, a lot of what is at the root of this is the, the, the word you said, pornea, the, the Greek word. But, of course, pornography, you're familiar with that term. And in September, the, the, the poster child for pornography, Hugh Hefner, mm-hmm. uh, passed away. Yeah. And uh, talk a little about the legacy that he's left us. Because when, when he died, I don't know if you followed any of the stuff in the news, but, I mean, some of them, it's like all this philanthropic things and very stuff, but... Talk a, a moment about his real legacy. Yeah, Hugh Hefner's a, obviously a, a character that <laughs> he was raised in a Christian home. And uh, he rejected all uh, the, the prudishness that, that he was raised in. And he, he became the apostle of the sexual revolution in 1957 when he uh, printed a, a picture in a magazine of Marilyn Monroe. And the sexual revolution sort of grew out of that. And uh, he, he really uh, prospered and became uh, quite effective in changing the culture. Um, and, and so that's his legacy. Uh, you know, he boasts of uh, having had uh, relations with a thousand women. And uh, not unlike Solomon in his moral failure. Not unlike David. Not unlike Samson. These stories of failure. We, we hope that redemption was close to him and his end. But I want to say this about this subject. It can be a depressing subject. But understand something. Sex is God's idea. It's a good thing. Romance, warmth, comfort, like a fire in a fireplace. It's a good thing. But if you take that fire outside of the intended place of marriage... And put it in the living room, it will burn the house down. Now, all Hugh Hefner did is just imagine the most beautiful picture. As, as, as Adam said when God presented him Eve, wow! 
This is good. This is very good. Great job, God. <laughs> the very last thing you did after creating all of creation and creating Adam, this was the pinnacle of your creation. That beautiful thing that you've given me. What the enemy has done perverted it, twisted it, tossed it away. Hugh Hefner wow but in a different way. Instead of celebrating that good gift the marriage bed's undefiled. Our heroes who's been married 50 years, 40 years, 30 years, 10 years those are our heroes. What God had intended to be good, he twisted and led away an entire culture. Now we're not just dealing with magazines. It's in cyberspace. Every kid has got a porn shop, not on the corner, but right here in their pocket. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Remember that? Be careful, little eyes, what you see. If you take no other theology from you today, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Sometimes one click, one curiosity, and you can't escape it. So Hugh Hefner left a legacy, but we have a greater story to tell. How many of you did your parents have the talk with you? I venture maybe one. That was the error of that generation, which left a blank piece of paper as we felt our way through what is sexuality as far as what God has to say. So we got a positive message here amidst this train wreck that's happened. So be encouraged. We know the story. It began with marriage. The first miracle was at a marriage. The end of revelations about a marriage. It's all about that relationship, which the enemy has perverted and changed. I was reading this past week, just rereading some of the stuff about, uh, about Hugh Hefner, about some of the people who've taken over uh, his business ventures since he's moved on. And kind of the mantra that they, that they use over and over and over again was that the human body is beautiful. It's, it's not something to be hidden. It's something to, you know, to celebrate. And this is the whole idea of a centerfold and all of that. Uh, what's interesting is as I was reading that, I felt like uh, I was just thinking about that because there's, there's a thread of truth to that. There's a thread of truth because the human body is designed by God to be beautiful. But, but it's a thread of truth. Here is the truth. What was the first thing that God did for Adam and Eve after they sinned? He, he spoke to them about the consequences of that, and then what did he do? He clothed them. They were not clothed before that. They were naked and unashamed. At this point, God knew that there was something broken in us that nakedness was going to corrupt and unleash. He understood that from moment one. And we're wise if we keep that in mind as well. It's, uh, it's not a coincidence that that was the very first act of God. And, uh, you know, we could spend a lot of time working our way through Genesis, but essentially he, he clothed them with lambskin, fig leaves, to protect them. It's basically what he did. 
And uh, so keep that in the back of your mind as you think of some of this. Phil, tell us uh, a little about what you've been doing here in the Midwest to champion godly biblical values and family values. And just tell us a little bit real quick. Um, We want to pray for you. When I came out of the Army, it's been 15 years now. And I didn't look for this battle. This, I had no idea. And I'm not, I'm not a clinician. I'm not law enforcement. I'm not an elected official. I'm just a father and a grandfather. That's it. But yet I do one thing. And that is this issue that, uh, that is just overwhelming us as a tsunami. Um, I do work in the legislatures, both in Missouri and Kansas, because they're a part of this whole um, Solution, And I have hope, uh, just as Nineveh was beyond redemption as far as that prophet thought, that God had a plan and he redeemed. There's hope. I mean, even Hollywood going after Weinstein, there's some kind of positive hope there that they have some judgment left, some good sense left there. So with that thread of hope, that hope that we still have, we declare in the midst of the darkness the good news. So, and back there on the table are a few things I have. And if you don't get my updates, I'd appreciate if you'd go ahead and sign up back there with an email. Several of you do. But uh, this is a proclamation last year from the state of Kansas. It's just a resolution recognizing pornography as a public health hazard that leads to a broad spectrum of individual and public health impacts and societal harms. And talks about the breakdown in marriage. And talks about sexually transmitted diseases. And things that they know that are going wrong. One third of the inmates in prison are in there for sexual crimes. That's a lot of money. So I talk in those venues. And I try to be a happy warrior. You know, we have a good news message here. My wife, she's a retired police detective. Mm -hmm. I'm retired infantry. We're type A personalities. (laughs) (laughs) You know? There's the, there's the enemy. I know the commander's intent, and I know where the allies are. Simply put the focus on there and speak where there's so much silence and so much misery that's being inflicted on our culture. <laughs> there is a cause and effect that's going on, and we have that answer. So. Mm-hmm. Thank you, brother. Well, at, uh, we, we want to pray for Phil. He is, uh, you see what I'm saying? It just, you feel it? it? There's just a strength of character and personality there that is the presence of God with him. And uh, just, I, we were just reflecting a few minutes before we started just how 15 years ago when, when he and Kathy moved here to the city and began this venture, uh, we were the first place that he came was here and uh, gave him a chance to speak and pray for him and uh, we don't want this to be the last we just are praying that it'll be many, an, another 15 year run of health and strength and blessing and uh, so let's pray for philip and his ministry and uh, just join me in that if you would okay let's bow our heads together father thank you so much for philip thank you for his faithfulness his uh, tenacious spirit for the things that are so important to you and so important for all of us and our well-being God, we know that you have, uh, you have a vision of our world being very different than it is. A place where uh, children are free to learn what's true and right and good and noble and be corrected when things, lovingly corrected when they kind of get it wrong. And, and you, you, you dream of us as adults behaving like adults. You, you dream of us uh, transforming the values of those around us through loving uh, communication and conversation and and appealing to people, 
bringing your grace, your goodness to their lives as we come in contact with them and uh, as they try to recover from whatever brokenness is a part of their lives. God, you, you envision all of these things and far more. You, you envision government that is for the people and not uh, just funded by the people. Uh, we ask, God, that you, would, uh, that you would help Philip as he continues to carry out the ministry and calling you've given him. Uh, may you give him vision and insight, wisdom, patience, tenacity, uh, good health, uh, financial resources, and far more, that, uh, that your will might be done here on earth just as it's done in the heavens. Just as we sang earlier, that's what we want, Lord. We want you to be Lord of all and King of kings, Lord of lords. So may your, uh, may your blessing, your anointing, your provision rest on Philip and Kathy and their family and their ministry efforts. And we lift this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, thank you, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Some of you were hoping that we were done at that point. <laughs> Faked you out, didn't I, for a second there? I mentioned to hang on to Matthew 5. Turn there if you would. I hope afterwards uh, you'll uh, stop back by the table over here. We've got uh, Philip set up back here. I'll give you a chance to sign up for his newsletter as well as uh, ask me any questions you maybe have. Uh, thank him for what he's doing, those kinds of things. But with today's culture freshly in mind, what we've been talking about here, for the next few minutes we're going to reflect together on some of Jesus' teaching on how to pursue, how to grow in purity because this is not a foreign subject to Jesus. He speaks about it often in his life and ministry and I just want you to listen carefully to what he has to say here. Look with me at Matthew 5. We're going to start at verse 27. You can follow along the screen or in your Bible. Hopefully you've got one with you. Four verses of Scripture this morning. You have heard the commandment that says, Jesus says, you must not commit adultery. You familiar with that commandment? Are you familiar with that? That's one of the ten, right? But Jesus says, but I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. What Jesus is saying in these verses, he's speaking in these verses about the subjects of sexual purity, faithfulness, those kinds of topics are really what he's driving at in these, these four verses. And embedded in these four verses are three subtle instructions for how to grow in purity. Three subtle instructions for how to grow in purity that if you and I will take seriously, we will migrate towards purity almost without trying. That's a little overstated, as you know, but it's, it's, like, it's, it's like a home. It's like magnetic. If you take these things seriously, it will help you greatly in your struggle in the flesh against uh, this struggle of evil and sexual impurity in our world. So we're going to talk through the next few minutes and just highlight these three subtle instructions that Jesus addresses here. The first is, is this. He says, you're going to grow on purity, then you need to honor the commandment. That's the first, the first instruction that we can see that just sort of, it's, 
here in, embedded in these verses. You've got to honor the commandment. You notice the commandment, verse 27. You've heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. It's the seventh of the Ten Commandments. It shows up in Exodus 20, verse 14. We talked about it here a little about a year ago or so. The people of Israel were on the foot of Mount Sinai when God was on the top of Mount Sinai speaking. And they're listening and he speaks. And if you remember, he goes through the Ten Commandments with the people they are trembling in fear. They're beside themselves with terror. Uh, and so uh, then Moses goes up the mountain. God writes the Ten Commandments on, uh, on the, the tablets of stone, sends Moses back down the mountain. Remember, remember the scene? Here's the thing about the Ten Commandments. Nobody's trembling at them anymore. Not even the Seventh Commandment. I shall not commit adultery. Uh, that's an old school thought is the view of our culture, our present culture. And the fact is, uh, it's God's thought. And it may be old school for our culture, but it's not old school for God. For God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, the scriptures teach us. And the same God who said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, love your neighbors yourself, says... Don't commit adultery. Same one who says, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. On and on we could go with the tank. It says, thou shalt not commit adultery. What's happened to our ability to blush, to our trembling at, at that? And if we're going to grow in purity, we've got to honor that, that commandment. Over the years of ministry that I've had, uh, 30-something at this point, a couple times I've had somebody say to me something like, you know, I just I felt like God, I, I know I'm married, I know I've got kids, but I mean, God has made this person for me, this other person, and thinking in terms of another relationship, and they're, they're having an affair, and they just, I, I, it's the will of God. The fact that thou shalt not commit adultery is one of the ten is permanent witness to the fact that it will never, ever be the will of God if you're married for you to have an affair. I don't care how difficult it is. I don't care how attractive the other person is. I don't care if you have a dream or a vision I don't care if you have somebody who claims to be a prophet who comes to you and says, in your case, it's okay. They're not from God. It is never the will of God for you and me to dishonor the commandment. We're going to grow in purity. We just have to settle that. We have to settle that issue now. Is it ever God's will for you to commit adultery? No, never. It's the first instruction of Jesus, really, in these words. If we're going to choose a life of purity and holiness and so forth, we've got to honor the commandment. The second that shows up in the text, really, is we're going to grow in purity. Uh, we've got to agree with Jesus that lust is dangerous. And, and you heard me right. We've got to agree with Jesus Lust is dangerous. It's not just evil, it's actually dangerous. It's not something to flirt with. Many people in our culture believe, well, you know, 
I, I recognize that lust is a, is a bad thing, but it's better than adultery. You know, I'm not cheating on my spouse if I just, if I just fantasize about this stuff. Well, I, I don't want to burst your bubble, but look at what Jesus says in verse 28. He says, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has what? Already committed adultery. His point is that on some level it's the same as adultery. You're just doing in your heart what in your mind you wish you could do with your body. This is what lust is. And it's dangerous. So dangerous, in fact, that look at verse 20, uh, 29. Jesus paints this picture. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, what's he say to do? That's a little extreme. It's a little extreme. But, but not if lust is, has the potential to lead you on a path that will dump you in hell. You see? I mean, this is, this is how, it's how dangerous it is. As a culture, we don't believe this. Sadly, it prevails in the culture like it does because many Christians don't believe this. You realize that 70-something percent of Americans, I think 78, if I remember the statistic I saw here a while back, right, 78 percent of the culture says, I'm a Christian. How is it that pornography prevails like it does? How is it that sexual harassment and other sin. I mean, how is it that these things prevail like they do? Well, it's because Christians, Christians don't recognize, don't honor the fact that this is actually dangerous. We don't agree with Jesus on this. And it's everywhere. I mean, lust is in marketing. It's in the news industry anymore. It's in entertainment. And, and honestly, some of us think to ourselves... What, what am I going to do for entertainment if, if I don't, if I, if I cut out all things that have lust associated with them? And, and so then we justify, okay, well, I got to be entertained, so I got to do that. You know. Rather than pausing and saying, maybe God, you could help me think creatively about what to do with entertainment. How do, we just don't, we're creatures of habit. Sadly, a bad habit. We've got to agree with Jesus that it's dangerous, lust is. According to Jesus, Fifty Shades of Grey is not entertainment. It's not normal. It's evil. There's always someone to argue, you're just being you know, prudish. It's, it's adult entertainment. I want you to think about this. Was Jesus an adult when he spoke these words in Matthew 5? Was he speaking to preschoolers or was he speaking to adults? Adults. Would Jesus who spoke in Matthew 5 as an adult to adults agree with you that that's adult programming? Or is that something that we've created in our day as a means of justifying that which honestly God would not approve of and we know better, but we kind of get wishy-washy about agreeing with Jesus. And, and sometimes it feels nice, and sometimes it's what everybody else or other people are doing. And you, you see where I'm... I mean, if we're ever going to grow in purity, if we're ever going to become holy, 
like God has called us to be holy, like he's holy. We have to take this issue seriously. Lust is dangerous. It's so dangerous that you'd, you'd be better to pluck your eyes out, cut your hands off. It's what Jesus is saying. I'm not making it up. Will you agree with Jesus? I, I, I think about this. Would any of us feel good about Playboy magazines being in Wildwoods? You can say it out loud. It's absurd. But on some level, we expose our kids to some of this stuff. Some of us do. Some of the television programming. Some of the movies we watch. Agree with Jesus. Lust is dangerous, not just for our little ones, our children, our grandchildren, but it's dangerous for us, for me, for me. So I probably should stay away from it on my phone. I probably ought to stay away from it on my computer. It's dangerous in movies. It's, it's harmful and dangerous in every... Wherever I turn and see it, it's dangerous. Treat it like the danger that it is. Brings us to a third instruction that shows up in the text. We're going to grow in purity and in faithfulness. And we, we've got to take steps to control our eyes is really what we've got to do. It's Jesus sort of alludes to this when he says in verse 28, anyone who even looks at a, at a woman, right? Anyone who even looks at a woman with lust. And he sort of echoes that idea when he talks about, you know, it'd be better to gouge out your eyes, he says, verse 29. Why does Jesus bring up the eyes in these verses? Here's why. The eyes are the gateway to your soul. Just the way it is. The eyes are the gateway to all of our souls. And you can kind of look in somebody's eyes. Sometimes you talk to them and they're kind of blank because mentally they're like somewhere else. You know, have you ever had that conversation? You can kind of tell. And then other times you look in somebody's eyes and it's just like it's almost scary because you're like, whoa, I'm looking inside of them. And you know, the eyes are the gateway to your or my soul. And because of that, long ago, one of God's followers named Job decided this in Job 31, verse 1. He said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. He's just saying, I'm not going to look lustfully at, at, at another woman. In our day, we need Job's wife to say, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young man. And that, on some level, that even betrays the extent to which our culture has become hypersexualized. Is it was Adam who looked at Eve and said, "Wow, this is amazing." Eve was kind of looking at him, kind of going, <laughs> "Okay, you know what I'm saying? This is this is just." This is a wiring thing. I know in our generation it's politically correct to speak of that, that actually a woman is different than a man. I mean, it's wrong in our minds politically to think that way. But God created men in one way, women in another way, and men are sort of hardwired to notice. But there's a difference between attraction and compulsive obsession to have. You know what I'm saying? Are you with me? Two different things. 
Lust is beginning down that path of compulsive obsession to have. I, I, I have now filled my mind with this other person and she or now he has become an object for my sexual gratification. This is what lust is. And part of how we shut that off is to close the floodgates, you know? Close the gates. Control. Control our eyes. What steps have you taken to control your eyes? And you think of things like a gaze that goes too long. You catch yourself with that? Do you even check yourself? Or has it gotten so far along that like you just don't even notice anymore? You just quit trying. Maybe the Holy Spirit is saying this morning, no, no, you need to... I mean, there's a glance where there's somebody, you see somebody attractive, and then, and then there's a point at which you cross a line that you and your spirit know that, you know, that's, I need to look away now. Will you look away? You need to control your eyes, and, and the way you control your eyes is control your smartphone, or you control your computer, in the internet or your television and get rid of some movie channels and be accountable with anybody on any of these things? You say, well, there's nobody I can really talk to about this because everybody will think I'm crazy. Everybody won't think you're crazy. There are some people who will. But you're not crazy for doing what Jesus says. Ever, ever, you hear what I'm saying? It is never crazy to do what Jesus says, ever. Anything, whether we're talking about lust, whether we're talking about prayer, whether we're, you pick the topic. Anything Jesus says, brilliant, on a scale that we don't comprehend. If he can create the molecular universe, he's smarter than you, smarter than me. Anything he says, do it. Jump at it. Consider yourself blessed and fortunate to have the wisdom of Jesus. And when Jesus says, anyone who looks, even looks at a woman with lust, well, then I, I got I to learn to control my eyes. I got to learn to control. Jesus, help me. And I need the help of friends around me. One of, the, one of the resources that Philip has over there on his table is called Covenant Eyes. Maybe some of you are familiar with this. Maybe you're not. Uh, you can pick up one of these little flyers over there on his table. But it's just what, it, what you do online impacts your life offline is basically the whole premise of what they talk about. And uh, it's about guarding yourself, your loved ones with Internet accountability, filtering. Is it, is it bulletproof? Of course not. Does that mean that we shouldn't take advantage of it? Of course not. Um, it's, I think it's just wise, particularly if you've been really, really struggling in this area is to take advantage of it. So you can stop back by there afterwards. I know Philip has a bunch of them. Would love to, love to tell you more about it if you need more of that. But This is an important step when it comes to growing in purity. But there's something worth noting. This approach of controlling the eyes has limitations. I just want you to... to you're aware of that, but you just want to say it out loud. It has its limitations... 
And here's why. Because lust is not rooted in the eyes. The problem of lust is rooted where? In the heart. It's in the heart. I can put my glasses on. I can pluck my eyes out and still struggle with lust in my spirit. So what do you do to root out the lust that's in the heart? And this really is the good news that God has for every one of us. This is part of why many of our culture who, who want to make progress in this area, I, I think of some in our culture who struggle with sexual harassment issues and various other things or situations where uh, you know, rape has been involved or various things. And it's like, as a culture, we're trying to address a heart issue with superficial means often. And to address these issues, you've got to go to the heart. It begins with really a repentant spirit before God, like all sin. I mean, and God has hope for you. He has hope for me. He has hope for Harvey Weinstein. He has hope for a whole lot of people. He had hope. I mean, Hugh Hefner had hope until the day he died. And there's hope, there's opportunity for change. But it begins with repentance, coming to a place in my heart where I agree with Jesus that I am a sinner, and in this area I've struggled, and God, I need your help. And it really progresses what repentance ultimately opens the door for is the Holy Spirit, for you to invite the Holy Spirit to take up residence in your heart and to help you desire and want something different than you now want. That's really where, where, where it begins. Lord Jesus, help me to think differently, to feel differently, to become differently. I'm going to, enjoy, I'm going to put your word before my eyes and not just the pornography. I'm, I'm opening my life to your spirit. I need your help. Come, come. So much that God can do in changing a heart and a destiny and a life. It begins there, seeking him. It continues, though, when you and I choose to confess our struggle in this area or any other area, really. I mean, particularly the secret areas. It's like when we confess that to another person with flesh on. You say, well, I could never do that. I'm not saying, well, you want to do that. But you can do that. I have done that over the years. It sort of creeps into my life. I have people in my life that I go to and I talk very directly about it. I can tell you, never one time have I thought, woohoo, I get to talk about this with my buddy Dave. It never, never happened. Uh, so just kind of dismiss that kind of mentality. But but the fact is, Scripture is pretty, really clear. James 5.16 talks about confessing your sins one to another and praying for each other. Pray for each other, it says, that you may be healed, the passage says. James 5.16. You don't believe me, look it up in your own Bible. And here's what happens. When you and I open the door to that area of struggle, we allow, by virtue of opening the door, the light of God's spirit and presence into that area. And we weaken the shame, the guilt. It opens the door for healing, for forgiveness, for transformation to begin. That which we keep secret 
has power over us. The Bible teaches that over and over again. Does that mean you got to like announce it on Facebook? One word answer. No, no. It doesn't even mean you have to tell everybody in your small group. Doesn't mean you have to tell your mother or your father. Doesn't mean you always need to tell your spouse. But you got to find somebody. You got to find somebody you can open up with. And uh, and then you got to be open to what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. Because sometimes there are those that He tells us specifically we need to like open this door to them because they're tangled up in it somehow. But if we'll come with a repentant spirit to God and invite the Holy Spirit of God to fill us and confess these things to one another and pray for each other, so much healing can take place. The the other piece of it that really has to be considered is each of us has got to evaluate what's been the payoff. What what supposed benefits have I been receiving for indulging in lust? I mean, what what, what is this all about? Is Is it a quick escape for a tough set of circumstances, a relationship that's struggling? Is it about that? Am I looking for love? You know, in the wrong place, the wrong way. What, what, is, what is driving me in here? That's a part of the equation, always in this kind of thing, particularly when it's become a, a persistent, addictive kind of thing in our lives. And we've got to wrestle with that. Maybe some of us have become addicted enough to this that we don't even like the word addiction. You know, I was just thinking about that because some of us, we just like recoil at that word. I'm not addicted I am struggling with it, but I am wrestling with it. It is top of mind all the time, but I'm not addicted. I have been struggling with it for three years, but I'm not addicted. Okay, we won't use the word addicted, okay, for any of us listening in online, because this doesn't apply to anybody here. So if that happens to be one of us, maybe you do need help from somebody who's like a devoted follower of Jesus who can help you unpack what the benefits are and why you're stuck there, what pain it's associated with, what trauma, what, what circumstance that you're, you just keep reliving that with God's help can be healed. But for some of us, it's gone on long enough that it's like, if it was going to get well independent of that, it would have happened already. And the truth is, what we need is not more time. We need, we need more help. And if that's you, you know that. You, you just feel it in your spirit as I'm talking about this. I just want you to know there is hope, and God does care. But you've got to open up about it. God will help you. So really the question today is, what are you going to do today to walk in the direction of growth Impurity, where you choose it. Because it is a key component of what it means to be holy. And let me just say what I've said for the last few weeks. Holiness, in this respect, is foundational to freedom. Freedom as a person, freedom in your marriage, freedom as a parent, freedom as a grandparent, freedom as a citizen of the United States of America. A culture that does not respect purity will not remain a healthy culture very long. This is what we're seeing before our very eyes. 
And the solution is not just out there. It's a blessing what Phil does because he's in places that you and I can't be and standing for things that we value in, in honorable ways. But the fact is, the transformation of the culture we live in begins right here with me. It begins with me. It begins with you and us. So will you open your heart to God and choose purity? Pour out your heart. Invite his help. And we're going to do a song here in just a moment that I think will be a great opportunity for you just to open your heart to God. It's, uh, it's entitled, Come to the Altar. We're going to share in the Lord's Supper at the same time as our worship singers and band play and sing this song. But my request is for you that as, as you eat the bread and drink the juice in just a few moments, symbols of Jesus' body and his blood, which were given, I mean, he suffered like he did because sin was a horrible, uh, grievous, destructive thing. In all of its manifestations, all of its manifestations. And he endured that suffering so that we could have the potential for forgiveness and mercy and cleansing of our mind, our spirits, our bodies. He can make us new, but it begins when you and I just come to him, come clean to him. It's a good opportunity for you to do that as we share in the Lord's Supper uh, together. Um, I'm going to invite you to bow your heads with me. We're going to pray together. Then we're going to share in the Lord's Supper. And as we do that, just listen carefully to the song. Allow it to guide your thoughts and your prayers a little bit, okay? Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for your loving concern for each of us. Thank you that in your mercy, you didn't judge us for the many sins of our lives. But Father, you judge Jesus. You're not angry with us. You are grieved over our condition. And you're pleading with us. By way of the shed blood of Jesus and his sacrifice life, you're pleading with us to recognize that sin is dangerous and evil and corrupt and it has to be judged. And right now is a window of mercy, a day of salvation and grace where we can come to you and find rescue and hope and cleansing and new life. And this morning as we come to this communion time and as we listen to these lyrics, we come. We invite you to meet us where we are, bring about cleansing and transformation. Would you change our wants and desires to more fully align with yours? And we'll give you credit for the good that results. So touch us and bring healing and cleansing now as we take these elements, the symbols of Jesus' sacrifice, and as we pray. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand with me. We're going to close in prayer this morning. But here's what I would say. You can't hear today's message. And if you struggled in this area, you know, not know that you need to do something. You just can't. And I'm fully aware that it makes us all nervous. So, okay, I, I dealt with that long ago. It just comes with the territory for all of us. If it wasn't close to our hearts, Jesus wouldn't have addressed it. Okay? 
is he's not into political correctness. But the fact that it's close to our hearts, close to our identities of who we are, is evidence of why we really do have to turn to God in this area. Every one of us. Maybe this morning the Holy Spirit's saying, you just need to tell somebody, talk to somebody. You need somebody to pray for you. I can tell you right now to, to walk down here at the close of the service and say, this is me, I need to pray about this, is a very uncomfortable, some of you just like your circuits are frying just that I even said that and, and postulated that maybe you would want to do that. But what I would say to you is that maybe some of you need to do that. You need to just come down front afterwards here and let one of us pray with you. We're not even saying we're perfect in this. We're just saying we're just a fellow struggler with you, and we're trying to pray with you. Just like Scripture says, let's pray for one another, confess our sins, our struggles, pray for one another that we may be healed. It's a step in that direction. I encourage you, if that's the case, just do it. Obviously, the day doesn't end here. Grab one of us today, later at the the Fall Fest. You can grab us another time. But Jesus is calling. Jesus is calling. Jesus is calling. Take advantage. Take advantage of the gift. His mercy is grace. Maybe you got something else you need to pray for this morning. Maybe you got some a job issue, or you got somebody else in your family who's sick in some way. I mean, we want to pray for all these things. So that way, uh, nobody knows what you're coming to pray for. You know what I'm saying? Just, uh, just come and pray. Let us pray for you. We want to do that about whatever. Okay? Let's bow our heads and pray, and then we'll be dismissed. So. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are merciful. If it weren't for that. Um, Life would be really hopeless. We are so grateful that you're good, that you're gracious, that from the garden you have loved man and woman and you've put them together and intended them to be married and intended to have this whole fire of the sexual relationship as a part of the marriage, not just the the marriage itself, but just that it would that it would populate the earth and that there'd be so many good things that would come from it. We're so sorry, Lord, for all that I have done, we have done to twist it and the wounding that's been a byproduct of that. Lord, we just invite your spirit to be at work in us. We ask for forgiveness. We ask for your spirit's presence and healing, redirection, transformation of us and our nation. Lord, we pray together for Harvey Weinstein, for his salvation, that you'll reveal yourself to him and that you, Lord Jesus, died for his sins. I pray for others like him throughout Hollywood and throughout our workplaces and in our home and us. Help us to realize that you died for us that you might cleanse us and make us new, make us yours. We're grateful. Now, Lord, as we head out of this place, help us to be wise about our eyes, wise about uh, where we go, the entertainment choices we make, uh, what we do on the Internet. Just help help us to maintain a covenant with you that we might not sin against you. 
Go with us now. This is our prayer. We lift it in the name of Jesus. And everybody agreed with me and said, 